Welcome to A Different Lens Podcast, where we look at the Trinity and humanity through the person of Jesus as a lens to see that the Trinity family is woven into the details of our lives. And out of their love and joy for us, we can begin to heal from wounds that religion may have caused. We are in a love story. And if we don't know that, then we can get caught up in all the details, the technicalities, and come to different conclusions. And in fact, we have already done this too many times that it actually feels as though we are in a horror story instead. The love story is the bigger picture, and we must never lose sight of that. If I was to hire some people to help me build a structure, and they didn't know what it was or why we were building it, Halfway through, I start griping at them because they start cutting corners and none of it is level. And if you were to ask them, what is Jason like? They would probably say, oh, Jason, he's a, he's a perfectionist. He wants everything perfect and level. And if you came to me and asked why I was this way, I would tell you that I'm building a playground for my son. I want him to be safe as he plays. And of course, my son deserves the best. We have forgotten that we are in a love story, or we've never heard we were in one. And so we don't know that it's a playground we are on, or why it was built in the first place. Now, why does it feel like we are not in a love story, but more like a horror story? I believe it's because we started in a courtroom, with breaking laws, with serious penalties. We started with sin with the fall of Adam, with lies about ourselves and lies about the Father, Son, and Spirit. To put it simply with just one word that the Apostle John uses in his Gospel that is all throughout the entirety of the Bible, we started with darkness. So I believe in order to help us see the love story, we need to see how the Father, Son, and Spirit thought about us before we were born, before creation, before existence. For us, as humans, we can feel a certain way and have plans until a tragedy comes along and completely changes our minds about someone or something. But the Trinity family is not the same way. In order to find out what the Trinity is like, how they feel now concerning us after the fall, we need to see what they were like before the fall. Why? Malachi 3.6, Hebrews 13.8, James 1.17, Numbers 23.19, and many more scriptures all say the Father, Son, and Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that there is no shadow of turning in them, and that they do not change their minds about us. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Galatians, Isaiah, Psalms, and more teach us that the Father, Son, and Spirit knew us before we were born. But let's look at the verses that talk about us before existence and before creation. Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption, to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on the earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having predestined us according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. There's so much in that that would actually dismantle a lot of doctrines today. But let's keep going. 2 Timothy 1.9 He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And last one, Titus 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of our God, our Savior. So check this out, guys. The conclusion. God, the Father, Son, and Spirit chose us. They chose you before you ever fell, before you could ever give your first praise, before you could ever deny God for the first time, or even choose them. They chose you with their perfect will, their pleasure, their joy, their purpose to make you holy, to make you perfect, righteous, and clean, to make you blissful and enjoy in the Trinity's life before you ever existed. Before we fell in Adam, we were found and chosen and saved in Christ. You guys, we are in a love story. Now, what went wrong? Adam, the fall, fear, guilt, shame, pride, we ate God's apple. That, that last one's a joke. Um, you name it. So as much as I enjoy talking about what really happened in Adam and Eve and what happened to them, which we faced almost daily, and what really happened in the garden, how the Trinity didn't curse humanity nor kill a sacrifice to pay for their sin or disobedience, or how about they were not kicked out of the garden as some form of punishment, but actually it was the Father, Son, and Spirit's grace. But I'll be talking about that plenty of times in the near future on my podcast. But what I want to do now is look at all of this from John's perspective in his gospel. First, I want to share with you guys what I believe about John's gospel. And it starts with my favorite early church father, St. Athanasius of Alexandria. When you read these great fathers, you almost believe they lived with a different Bible. Some of that statement is true, but seriously, the stuff they say, you are like, wow, that's amazing. Where is that at in Scripture? 
Now, I cannot shake this because when I had my encounter with the very happy Trinity, they taught me the same things that I read in the Father's letters. So now you know why I'm obsessed with the Church Fathers. Years ago, after learning of the Fathers, and most importantly, Athanasius, I started to really become obsessed with John's Gospel. Not as much as I am with Paul, but close. So how does Athanasius connect me with John? Well, Athanasius was the disciple of a man named Irenaeus, and Irenaeus was the disciple of Polycarp, and Polycarp was the disciple of the Apostle John himself. Athanasius is just two disciples away from the Apostle John. You guys, Athanasius and the other church fathers are not some backwoods preachers who has never read scripture in Greek and is heavenly influenced by the Western legalism God. No, these guys are just a few disciples away from the apostles themselves who spoke Greek and knew the language and phrases of their day. These guys are better equipped to understand what Jesus and the apostles were talking about. So when I started reading John, with help of the Trinity and Athanasius and by a great theologian today who has done deep and great study on all these guys I began to see it more and more and then I began to see something else I don't believe John's gospel is just a history story like the other gospels no I believe John within his story he is preaching a sermon John is writing his gospel as a theologian and a philosopher. He isn't just writing stories down from memory. He is guiding us and teaching us deep truths, keys about the Trinity and the gospel. I want to share with you what I see. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When John tells us that the Word was with God, the Greek word he uses for with is the word pros, and it means to be turned towards one another. And its basic and simplest form means to be face to face. So John is telling us that the word, which he is saying is Jesus, is face to face with the Father from the beginning of existence. John is making it clear that Jesus is not some prophet coming to give us a message but that he is the message. Jesus is the declaration. He is the act and the accomplishment of what he, Jesus, says. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and that though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The light of life is Jesus in relationship with his Father in the Spirit and us in them, according to John. This isn't a footnote. This isn't a metaphor. This is true reality. This is what is. This is where John starts his gospel from already belonging from within 
found in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. John's gospel is not God created man, man sinned, broke rules, and God is holy, so someone had to pay or be punished in order to be forgiven and put right with God. Now, what is the darkness here? The Greek word John uses for darkness is skotia, and it can mean ignorance of divine things. The root word is skotos, and it means darkened eyesight or blindness. Now let's move on to John chapter 3, 16 through 20. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. Now, John does not take much time explaining what the darkness is, but he does say it thinks, it has intentionality, and it is aggressive. And it's very prevalent and real, because the light is already in the world, and we can't even see him or understand. And so whatever the darkness is, John shows us all through his gospel it's succeeding at blinding us to what is. Also that there is a crisis, which the Greek word here means verdict or judgment. And it's that we loved the darkness and hated the light. So let's move to John 5, 37 through 34. Now some context here, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and maybe Sadducees. 37. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word, Logos, dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only true God. Jesus is not just talking about the Pharisees here. He is talking about humanity as a whole. Even the disciples did not have the love of the Father in their hearts, and they did not hear God's voice or see his form. No, they followed Jesus because he chose them, and they learned to trust. Judas and Peter betrayed Jesus, and they all, except for John, abandoned Jesus at his worst time. So this is where Western Christianity gets stuck. They say God is separate from us, and so he revealed his son, Jesus, and we are unwilling to come to him. So if we will kill our own pride and get rid of our safety precautions using our own will, then they will save us, which really means you have to save yourself. It's like they believe, well, we believe the disciples were Christian or chosen, but not the Pharisees. Well, Jesus will make an exception for Nicodemus, hopefully. We say, well, anyone who doesn't have the love of the Father in them will get thrown in hell. Good riddance. 
Sorry, even though you are the Father's children and Jesus' bride as well. Oh well, goodbye. No, John is not done with his sermon yet. We are just in the middle talking about the dilemma, the problem, darkness. We are just in chapter 5. This is not the end result. We are just in the middle. So let's keep going. John chapter 17, verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Did you catch that? Jesus said that he has and will make his Father known so that the love the Father has for him will be in them. The very ones who don't have the Father's love in them. Now, how is Jesus going to do this? One idea, through theological and philosophical arguments and debates. But how did that work out with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Another idea is he's going to give everyone a prayer to say, and he will magically pop into your body and hearts. Think about this. Using the old understanding of repentance, which people think it means to confess your sins, which it does not, but using that understanding, how can you repent and give your heart to someone you never even met yet? Western Christianity teaches you you must first accept him and give him your whole heart and change, and yet you don't even know him or have the power to change yourself or figure out things. I like to say figure out the game. Or third idea is he's going to show his power mightily to scare us stubborn folks into changing and loving him. But there's a problem there, and this has been the problem for centuries. People are forced into loving God out of fear. Forced love is no love at all. But John tells us the answer with where he takes the story next. Are you ready? Jesus is going to the cross. John continues his sermon by telling us that Jesus is going to the garden. And it is there that Jesus is under so much stress and anxiety that his blood vessels burst and mix with his sweat glands. Because Jesus is not just going to the physical experience of the cross, but the spiritual experience as well. He is going all the way to the bottom of our darkness. He is going to the core of our despair, all the way into our hatred of God, made up of hurt, guilt, and shame and fear. Jesus is going to where, for the first time in his life, he will not be able to feel his Father and his Spirit, where he can no longer hear them. And it is there, even though he can't feel or hear them, he is bringing them with him and is going to conquer the darkness. His relationship with his Father and Spirit is going to break through the darkness, defeat sin, and bring judgment on the ruler of the world, and will begin to heal humanity from the inside out with the love of the Father. When the Roman soldiers come with the temple police, which is just a crazy thing to think about because these guys hated each other, but they're coming in unity, and they're following behind Judas. And when they come to Jesus, Jesus says, who are you looking for? This is over a thousand soldiers that are trained for combat. 
and they come for Jesus. Jesus cannot escape this. And the leader says, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am. And John tells us that everyone falls to the ground. The, the Romans, the temple priests, even Judas, everyone falls to the ground. And then when they get back up, they see he's not doing anything, and so then they take him. And I want you to see that Jesus is literally saying, with power, you are not taking my life. I am allowing this betrayal. You are not forcefully taking my life. I am not weak, but I am surrendering to your betrayal. And then Jesus goes to the cross where he finds us in our darkness. You guys, I don't know if you've caught it by now, but we are in a love story.